Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's great scripture reading. It's the text for this message this morning, which I'm just going to call Mission Possible. So I'm going to start by asking you all a question. Are you all on mission? Uh, a few over here. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I should ask it another way. Are you a witness to Jesus Christ? Good. See, a witness is actually somebody who's on mission. So those of you that weren't sure, if you said, yay, over here, you belong over here. You're witnessing because you have a mission, and the mission is possible. So how are you doing these days at telling other people the truth about Jesus? See, a firsthand witness, and I would say that if you call yourself a Christ follower, uh, you report what you have seen, either personally, what you've seen, what you've heard, or in some cases you've actually touched And guess what? You actually touched Jesus this morning with the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. Now, in order to to establish the veracity of whatever testimony you're going to be sharing with people, friends, there are six questions that are I learned them a long time ago in grade school. They were called reporters questions. It was the when, who, the how, the what, the where and the why. And we're going to take a walk through some of that stuff today. So a witness a person who is on mission uh, can testify when something happened. Now, for some of us, when that something happened, it was called baptism. For some of us, a little bit later, when we came to faith through some other means. But there's also how this unfolded and how your life in Christ has changed since that time when you came to know him. And what's happened in your life since that time as well. Uh, maybe you even remember where it took place when your life was changed and you became Christ's child or, or, or why you think it happened. Now, some of you say, well, I think it happened because my parents always took the little babies to church to have them baptized. Now, we see the answer to all of those questions in Acts chapter 6, verses, uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. But first, we're going to take a look at this little video. This is a missional community. Simple. Bob is the owner of a local hobby shop. 
the president of the remote control airplane. Each Wednesday after work, the members of the airplane club get together to race, share and enjoy their airplane, compare designs and pass on the knowledge of model airplanes to their kids and grandkids. Bob goes to a church service with his sister on Christmas Eve and decides to become a Christian. He regularly attends Sunday services, finds his way into a small group and joins the Wednesday night church gathering. He realizes that his commitment to church programs and his commitment to the airplane club are at odds. The church leadership empathizes with the situation and tells him it'd be better to attend a Wednesday program rather than spend time building airplanes. The church leadership also encourages Bob to get more involved in church, leaving no time for airplanes. Bob agrees. Giving up a silly hobby would be his sacrifice for the Lord. Eventually, Bob's friends begin wondering what happened to him. In their minds, he was a critical part of the model airplane community. When they wander into his hobby shop, they ask, what happened to you? You miss you. Bob begins to realize that he's becoming an outsider to all the conversation, significant or otherwise, that always unfolded during their Wednesdays together. Bob explains that he found something more important than model airplanes, and he even offered an invitation to the Wednesday night church meetings. Some of the airplane clubs try out his church because they respect and love Bob. But a lot of them decide not to go because they value the time together with family and friends on Wednesday evenings. After some time, Bob becomes a key leader in the church and hears his call to go and reach those people he knew from the club. Since giving up the regular meeting with the club, his interaction feels more difficult than he'd imagined. After all, Bob, their leader, left them to what seemed to be just another club on Wednesday evenings. Somewhat troubled, Bob decides to take a break from Wednesday night church gatherings and re-enter the world of model airplanes. Some in the church were deeply concerned for Bob's spiritual well-being. Others were disgruntled. Then someone asked the question, what if we resource Bob to be even more effective at building a healthy community where he already is? Let's help him to better live out more Jesus' heart for compassion, generosity, peace, and love among people that know him best. After all, Bob is the most likely access point for those people to encounter Jesus. The church agrees. Bob's church is now determined to help him follow Jesus and assist him in living out his faith in the community that has been built around him. Bob now sees both his dedication to his church and to the model airplane community as critical components in following Jesus. Mission possible. Mission possible. We could probably summarize our teaching today very simply. We're called to be a witness where we are, but not stay where we are. I'm going to take you through a list of P's today. We're going to start, first of all, this first point. We're going to start with perspective. And the first thing that a witness establishes is when something occurred. Now, when the disciples were uh, focusing on the future in Acts chapter 1, Jesus wanted them to be more focused on what's happening right now. And in verses 6 and 7, if you remember what Larry read to you before, he said, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I wonder if Jesus had this puzzled look on his face when he turned around and said, Guys, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, the tense of the disciples' question uh, seems to mean that the disciples were continually asking Jesus, When are you going to bring back your kingdom? When are you going to bring back your kingdom? And I used to think that was kind of a dumb question to ask, but I think it's a natural question. I don't know how many times in the last couple of months I've asked, had people ask me, do you think we're about at the end of times? And I keep repeating Matthew 24, 14, when the gospel is preached to all nations, then the end will come. I mean, don't worry about it. Are we in the end times? Yes, ever since Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we've been in the end times. Get used to it. 
6,000 years of getting used to it. But see, after all, Jesus always talked about the kingdom. For example, in Matthew 19, 28, he told his disciples, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That was a promise he made to his disciples. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking that question. Instead, he redirects the question, and the question is going to be redirected toward us today. He said, don't worry about what's to come in the future, because I have a job for you to do right now. And we're going to move on to the second P, which is people. See, the disciples' perspective here, and I think oftentimes disciples in our churches are kind of locked into, when is Jesus going to come back? I mean, crazy, the world's going crazy today. Why doesn't it just come back right now? Well, we see Jesus telling them who uh, and what they were going to do. He starts by saying, but you, but you, I've got a job for you. And that word but means I've got a little change of direction. Stop doing this kingdom thinking so much. Don't do so much of this prophecy thinking. But Jesus says, I have something. This you is a personal command to everybody who is sitting here today, everybody who's watching online, everybody who listens to my voice, anybody who knows who Jesus is. The you is a personal command to us from Jesus. And in other words, it's our business to get the word of God into the world that God created. Now, verse eight actually records the last uh, statement of Jesus in the Bible. And I think this last command of Jesus really needs to take priority in our lives today because Jesus still wants to have his work go on, even though he's not here. And that's why he chooses each and every one of you. One of my favorite Christian authors, his name is David Platt, P-L-A-T-T, wrote a fascinating book a number of years ago. It was called Radical. And some of you are saying, well, that sounds like the kind of book where Barry would read. It's a great book. It's radical. I would commend it to you. And uh, he said in his book, the church is not a building to see or a place to sit. The church is a movement to join. Isn't that interesting? He also said there, there's, there's some things you ought to be praying about every day. And so on my desk at home, I have a little three by five card. And I wrote these five things down and I see that. Every day, I look at it, I don't know how many times a day, it's a constant reminder. Here are those five things he, he suggests. He said, pray for the entire world. Are you praying for the entire world today? Secondly, read through the entire word. I have a friend who tries to make it a habit of reading through the New Testament twice every year and the Old Testament once a year. That's quite a challenge. How are you doing in that? To read the word. To sacrifice your money for a specific purpose. You know, sometimes you, 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 can, you can send missionaries, you can fund missionaries, you can see it to it that it's getting out there. And he said, spend your time in another context. Well, some of you know, 25 years, I've been at Angola Prison, largest maximum security prison in America. That's a, whole, that's a different place. I didn't grow up being in prison. And to hang out with 6,200 guys who are serving life sentences, that's a totally different place. And all I'm saying is sometimes we do get used to hanging around with the same old, same old. Not that that's wrong. But maybe every once in a while we need to cross a little bit of a barrier and, and work in an area that brings us into uh, contact with other people. And then to commit your life to a multiplying community. 
Are we multiplying? Sometimes we just say, well, all we're doing is adding or subtracting. <laughs> okay, let's multiply. The third P is power. Uh, Jesus not only told them they were people he wanted to use, he also informed them how he was actually going to use it. And in the second part of verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's interesting. The promised Holy Spirit would give them everything they needed to do what he was calling them to do. And, and this word power is used ten different times here in the book of Acts. And it's the Greek word dunamis. And some of you probably already know that that word dunamis is translated in English as either dynamic or dynamo, or my favorite is dynamite. When we've got the word of God, we've got dynamite in our hands. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 31 tells us what happened when Christ's followers were filled with the Spirit on that day of Pentecost. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and all were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, it's not you're going to be witnesses and you will receive power. It's actually the other way around. You will receive power first, and then you will be my witnesses. See, this happened on the day of Pentecost. It takes place immediately after the conversion. You know, that some of you maybe were baptized as infants. The power came at your baptism. Some of you, maybe a little while later, you walked an aisle at some time. You were 16 or you were 18. Maybe you were 65. Maybe you were 75. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. But when that day comes, the Holy Spirit when you say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, guess what? The Holy Spirit has arrived. And see, without the Holy Spirit, you and I are literally powerless. I think we, we, we need not forget how important this is. Without it, we are powerless. With his help, without it, we're also helpless. Uh, but with his power, we can actually do what he wants us to do. The fourth P here is plan. In verse 8, we see what the disciples are called to be. It says, and you will be my what? Witnesses. And this is kind of a command. It's also a commission. And if you look again at that little phrase, you will be my witnesses. See, it's more of a matter of being and less about doing. Jesus didn't say you shall do this. He said, no, you shall be this. We're not merely to bear witness. We're, we're out there to be witnesses. And to put it another way, guess what? If you're a Christ follower sitting here today, if you're online listening to this, watching this, I don't care where you are, if you're a believer, guess what? You are a witness. You have been called to witness to other people. And the question that follows that is what witness are you communicating to people wherever you go? What are people reading when they take a close look at your life. Someone one time told me, Barry, you know, you're the only Bible that some people read. I mean, think about that for a moment. You're the only Bible some people read. In other words, when they look at my life, do they see what the Bible says? Do they hear what the Bible says? Do they see that I live the way the Bible says? Do I communicate the way the Bible says? What kind of witness am I? And Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. And there, there are a couple of meanings here. First of all, we are witnesses about Jesus. 
We're going to tell people about his redemptive work, about his death on the cross, that suffering death and resurrection. But we're also witnesses of Jesus, meaning we belong to him and we're his ambassadors. Let me tell you who Jesus is to me. See, the word witness, if you read through the book of Acts, it's used 29 times. You get a general idea. If you hear one word over and over and over again, it must be important. But 29 times just in the book of Acts. I'll give you three examples. Acts 2.32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 10.39, and we are witnesses of all that he did. Chapter 22, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's really easy if you've been to the seminary. It's really easy for a pastor to do these things. It's not so easy for me. Well, friends, you don't need to be an expressive evangelist. I don't know how many Billy Grahams there are. I know the one the one I did know is no longer here. He's with Jesus. There are other great evangelists in this world. You don't need to be that great evangelist. You don't need to be a persuasive preacher. Uh, some people say, well, I couldn't get up in front of people and talk like you do. I'm not sure you want to get up and talk like I do. <laughs> But I, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I stutter. I can't think quick enough on my feet. You don't have to be any of those things. Our job is not to be a prosecutor for Jesus. Our, our job is, is not to be a defense attorney for Jesus. Our job is just simply to witness what we have experienced in our life that we know to be true. Now, I'm looking out at a few white hairs and a few no hairs. <laughs> Some of you have been around a long time. What have you seen Jesus do in your life? Some of you haven't been around as long, but I bet you all got stories too. What has Jesus done for you in your life? Well, whatever he's done, you have an opportunity to tell somebody some way, somehow. Now, you don't need to be eloquent. You don't need to be convincing. You don't need to be clever. Maybe some of you remember a healing Jesus did in John chapter 9. And afterwards, the guy who was healed, all the religious heat came up to him and said, Who is this guy who healed you? I don't know if you remember what he said. He said, Well, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. That was his witness. That was his testimony. Now, I don't mean to imply that witnessing and sharing your faith is all that easy. But we don't have to fear when all we're doing is simply sharing facts about what we know to be true. Isaiah, let's go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 44, verse 8 says, Fear not, nor be afraid, have I not told you from of old and declared it. Are you not my witnesses? And our answer should be, uh, yes, I are one of your witnesses. See, it helps me to remember in the Greek language, the word witness is nearly identical to that word martyr. Martyrio is actually the Greek word. And martyrs bear the ultimate witness to the truth by remaining loyal to the very end. Are there people in the world today who are dying for their faith? Yeah, all over this world. And if so, many people have died for Jesus. My question for myself is, how can I then not live for him? See, by the way, a witness can't testify or hearsay but only talk about what he or she has actually heard somebody say or do. So if you don't have a dynamic 
on a living, loving, lasting relationship with Jesus, sometimes you're going to be struggle a little bit. But that's why we need to be back in the word and say, this is what we need to know. So I have something to share. Well, here's, a, here's the fifth P, and this is the place. Where am I going to do this? Now, some churches, I suppose, if I were preaching this message, they go, oh, my gosh, I have a feeling after church it's going to take us over to the neighborhoods. <laughs> and he's not going to let us go home until we've gone through every apartment complex around. Oh, he's probably going to take us across the street to witness to the Mormon church, for heaven's sakes. But where, where are the places? But where does God call us to be? Now, some of you know a little bit about Restore. We intentionally chose a one square mile of poverty across the street from Hollister High School. A lot of broken families, a lot of drugs, a lot of different things. The people that we minister to are probably a little bit different than the ones that are ministered to here. It doesn't make it. It's ministry is ministry is ministry. And how you go about it, sharing the love of Jesus with people. Now, we hand out food once a month at White River Apartments. You're welcome to come and join us, help us sack those things and carry it to the car and engage with people. Once a month, we're actually at Reshore where we see 30, 40, 50 families coming through. We give them free coffee and donuts the hour ahead of time and exchange time with them. And tell them as much about Jesus as we possibly can in those conversations. That's the place. But the place here is where he wants a witness to witness. He says in Jerusalem. In Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And say, well, he wanted them to wait in Jerusalem. He said, now wait in Jerusalem a little bit because you need the Holy Spirit here. You need the Spirit. And then, when the Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. Now, in a similar uh, way, we're to start in our neighborhoods. uh, Scatter to the nations. It's not an either or or both and, because we're really responsible to reach all four spheres he's talking about. Think about these, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I mean, who are these people, these Judeans? Well, Jerusalem at this time is what? The capital of, uh, of the Jewish capital is where the gospel penetrated first. Luke 24, 47 to 49, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And sometimes you have to say that to a church. Okay, we're going to start here. And when we're, we're discipled and we're ready to go, we've got now we're going to start sending you to these other places. But start at home. The first followers did such a great job of it by Acts 5, 28. Scripture says, you have filled Jerusalem with our teaching. Wow, that's a big deal. It didn't take very long. But well, where's Judea? Well, Judea, watch the news lately. You'll figure out where Judea is in Israel. Most of the Israelites who came back from exile, the Babylonian exile, came from the tribe of Judah. Uh, they were called Jews in the New Testament time. Judea was the southern portion of Israel. He said, once you get out of Jerusalem, go to the next place close. But then I have a feeling that when Jesus said, you're going to go to Samaria, too, uh, there were a few Jews that went, "Okay, (laughs) okay, now you're messing. (laughs) Now you're interfering. Because this area to the north of Jerusalem is where Samaritans live. And Jesus is speaking to Jews who wouldn't even walk through Samaria, much less witness to them. 
Remember how the disciples were so offended that Jesus ministered to that woman at the well in Samaria? I mean, you, you could picture the disciples after being in Samaria to go home and take a shower. Or at least swim in the Sea of Galilee for a while. See, here I'm reminded that we're to take the gospel to people we really don't like. That's a hard question to answer. Can you think of anybody today of people you really don't like? I can come up with a few. I imagine you could. What about people who are your enemies? I never think too much about that. People are my enemies. Who might be in my world today that I wouldn't want to witness to? Muslims? Gays? Lesbians? You name it. People from the opposite political party. I'm not talking to any Republicans. I'm not talking to any Democrats. Oh, you're independent? No, make up your mind, buddy. (laughs) No, there's no barriers here. People from different races? I told you before, I work in prison down in Angola, prison in Hunt Prison, hoping to get into Parchment Prison in Mississippi soon. Uh, Nancy really stands out in prison. She's about the whitest person you're going to see in there sometimes, in different races. And uh, I I enjoy it when the guys finally say, "Uh, are you sure you didn't come from black people, Doc? (laughs) Because you're like one of us. Well, what they meant is we are brothers in Christ. And when a few people understand that you're brothers with some people, other people want to know about that person as well. How about refugees that come to our country? How about immigrants, whether they're legal or illegal? Is this on our list of people that we ought to be talking to and witnessing to? Or how about the ends of the earth? I remember the day when my plane landed in Johannesburg, South Africa, on a mission trip. And when I got off the plane in Johannesburg, our uh, guide said, welcome to the ends of the earth. I mean, literally at that time from New York City to Johannesburg is the longest transatlantic flight. I don't know, it's 27 hours. It, it seemed like about three weeks. It's a long way away. The end literally means remote. Could mean up in the hills around where you guys live. That's pretty remote. Extreme. The little jungles that populate the streets. 76 as you go through Branson. Could be that. Now, at this time, we get to the ends of the earth. Now, the word end means remote or extreme. Jesus said in Mark Mark 16, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Now, In the days of Jesus in Jerusalem, what was the farthest away place you could go? It's called Rome. It's 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. But the book of Acts, chapter 28, ends with this report from Paul, who is where? In Rome. And he says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I'm God here. And guess what? Paul wasn't satisfied. He really wanted to go to Spain yet. He wanted to go to other places. See, from Rome, the gospel literally has gone around this world. And so we're to cross all these regional and cultural and linguistic and geographical barriers. For what reason? To share the gospel of grace and be witnesses to all the world. I mean, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, to to me, serves as an outline uh, for the geographical spread of the gospel. I mean, if you read the book of Acts... 
Chapters 1 to 7 are all about what's going on in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through somewhere in, in chapter 11 is in Judea and Samaria. But in chapters 11 all the way through the end, the message goes as far away as the city of Rome. And see, while the gospel penetrated where the people were, it took something to get them to move out of where they were. Anybody know what that was called? Persecution. Sometimes we need a little poke to get us out of our comfortability. In other words, God sent hard times to get people back in track. How many of you have mourned a little bit lately? You think, man, times are really lousy these days. Only one person. Thank you. We're on mission together, buddy. I don't even watch the news anymore. I mean, all it is is one piece of bad news after another bad news. And but this reminds me, sometimes God is poking us and prodding us to say, get the gospel out into these places where people don't understand what's right and what's wrong. Not because I want to be what right and what's wrong. I'm not the judge of that. I'm the Ten Commandments do a pretty good job of that. I'm not out to preach a new gospel. After all, we talked about that in the Nicene Creed. Next week, you'll probably do the Apostles' Creed. Who knows, on Trinity Sunday, you may even inflict yourself with the, with the Athanasian Creed. I don't know. But take that message out there to the ends of the earth. They were scattered. See, I'd hope we'd be like believers in Acts chapter 4. Now, those who are scattered went about preaching the word. And one of the things I've learned in my own life is that we're called to witness where we are, but we should not be staying where we are. We need to move out. Some of you know I can be blunt. Right, Joel? Yeah. Let me be a little blunt here. I think we all have three choices. We can go, or we can send, or we can disobey. I don't know how you feel about that. See, we're called to witness where we are, but we're not called to stay there. So we looked at the when, the who, the how, the what, and the where. We should probably look at the why. Well, that's the 6P promise. Verses 9 and 11, Jesus tells us why. And when, you have, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, in other words, the disciples were not standing around in amazement like, whoa, Jesus is going back up into heaven. Instead, they were sad. They were broken people. They thought somehow they'd lost the Lord forever. But friends, no one is lost if you know where they are. That's the confident assurance we have when a believer leaves this world to live forever with Christ. I've been a part of several funerals this last year. Yeah, am I going to mourn at a funeral? Sure. But I tell you, at the same time, I rejoice. I mean, Nancy's mom, when she passed away this last year, at 100 years old, full life. Was it a sad time to bury your mom? It really was. But at the same time, there was a lot of happy, clappy stuff going on because we knew where she was. 
And where she was was a far better place than Bloomington, Illinois, living in assisted living. My son and his wife lost her mother to dementia. We had a big celebration for Trish. Why? Because we knew she was in a far better place today. And both of them, I can say, it's because they knew who Jesus Christ was. See, no one is lost if you know where these people are. The ascension confirms what Jesus declared has now been delivered. I'm up here. I'm coming back. But until I come back, be my witnesses. The King James Version translates the verse kind of interesting. Luke 19, 13. In the King James, it says, Occupy until I come. <laughs> I'm leaving you behind. Occupy. Occupy. One more question as we, we, we ponder the close. Have you ever wondered at any time why when God saved you that he left you here on earth? Ever thought about that? Why has God left you here this long. I'm wondering how long I'm going to be in ministry. I'm at 79 years old already. I'll probably be still pastoring when I'm 90. Who knows? Why would he leave me here so long? Why would he leave you here so long? I think part of the reason is because he wants to use you, no matter what your age is, to be a blesser. For people. I like that word bless. Or I like the word bless. How do you like acronyms? I like acronyms. Let me give you one for bless. Begin with prayer. This is a good B. Um, Lord, how do you want me to bless the people that I come into contact with? Uh, maybe an L. Listen attentively. I'm at Hollister Coffee Company six days a week only because they're only open six days a week. I sometimes just sit there and I listen for the conversations around me. And if I can find a way to enter into a conversation, I will. But not but in the conversation. I have some great conversations with people. Christians and non-Christians alike. People who love me and people when they find out what I do for a living, uh, they'd like to spray me with raid. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. But I'm going to listen to them. Tell me your story. Maybe eat together. Well, I can say drink together. I'm, I'm, I don't mean drinking with... You know what I mean. A cup of coffee is what I'm talking about. Look for ways to engage people around the table and have conversation. Or serve. Serve in practical ways. Trunk or treat. Possibility. little rain tonight. Do you think you have an opportunity to serve somebody else in this community? I understand you guys got so much candy and worried about it, you're going to bring half of it over to restore next Tuesday where we get a chance to do it one more time over there. Don't forget to come over and work that day. It's an open invitation. Or um, the other S and bless, how about uh, share the story of Jesus. Share the story of Jesus. When the time is right in the conversation, bring up Jesus and tell him how Jesus has changed your life. Now, according to somebody who counts these things in Scripture, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record 132 contacts Jesus had with people. Six of these were contacts with people in the temple. Four of them were in the village synagogues. 
and 122 with people who are just in the mainstream of life. See, friends, what we need to do is learn how to break away from our holy huddles, to spend time with the harried and the hurried, the wayward, the worried. The effectiveness of our witness is truly in direct proportion to how much love we really have for lost people. We can't do that, though, without Christ. We're going to sing about that, Joel. I think it's another good old Lutheran hymn, a Martin Luther hymn. I think you've been sitting along. Let's stand and sing in Christ alone. <laughs>